everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. When you get Christians in a, in a room, no, sorry, when you get people in a room, like crazy stuff happens, unplanned, uncomfortable, cringy stuff happens. I remember my dad telling me about a church um, you know, that welcomed prophetic words, open mic stuff, uh, shared words of knowledge, that sort of thing, a good thing. But one time during a, a worship service, this man stood up to give uh, the church a bit of a, a rebuke, which, you know, can already be awkward. And he mustered up the courage and said, Thus saith the Lord, my glory has departed, and I have written Knickerbocker over the door. Now, what he was referring to was a rather serious story in 1 Samuel where the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen. Israel has lost its way. Everyone was doing right in their own eyes. And uh, my glory has departed is actually uh, Ichabod, not Knickerbocker. (laughs) So people in the church... Uh, tried not to make eye contact and move on and maybe he was confused by the silence so he got up again and said thus saith the Lord my glory has departed I have written knickerbocker over the door and now it's really cringy in the room and no one uh, could pretend they hadn't heard it the first time and uh, Buddy is starting to get annoyed that there's zero reaction so he gets up a third time true story Thus saith the Lord, my glory has departed. I have written knickerbocker over the door, and I really mean it this time. (laughs) Those sorts of uh, comically cringy moments happen when people assemble because we are comically cringy, broken people. And sometimes when God's people get together, though, it's like alchemy. It's like a recipe for gold, transcendent moments, powerful moments, God moments, things that, that just wouldn't happen if we were alone. And today I want to present a case, I suppose, for praying together, praying corporately. Um, maybe it's a theological case, an intellectual case, um, but I also know that it really is mostly an experiential case. And I want to invite you to an experience of that. Um, Maybe things will happen that can't be explained intellectually or theologically. You'll just know, hopefully, that God was in that place. First of all, why, why is togetherness so important to God? Listen, God absolutely loves, communicates with, fellowships with the individual. We experienced that, I believe, just moments ago. 
However, how often do we see that that is in the context of or for the sake of family, of community, of groups, even of nations? You look in the Old Testament and you see example after example. God called and promised Abraham that through him the whole world, every ethnicity, every tribe, every tongue, every race would be blessed. You see the example of Moses who, who is to um, bring out a people, a nation, to be a light to all other nations. You see it in the example of the prophets who called uh, entire nations to repentance. Historically, if you could reach the head of a family or a clan, uh, the head of a city or a nation, you could often reach the entire group. When Jonah preached to Nineveh, the king and the nobles made a declaration for people to repent And scripture tells us that citizens did just that. God's prescription from the time of Exodus onward has been one of regular togetherness, an assembly of people coming together to worship. I believe it has been implanted, these instincts, in the hearts of those who love God. The psalmist says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And then, and then we see these principles of togetherness all throughout the New Testament, especially through the establishment of this thing called the church, where Jesus announces this formation of a new kind of community, a new kind of togetherness. And between um, the Apostle Paul and Jesus, there's most often these three metaphors used, uh, pictures of what it should look like, where Jesus is the head and we are the body, where Jesus is uh, the vine, and we are the branches, where Jesus is the cornerstone, and we are the temple. So in each example, you'll notice that every believer is vitally connected to God, but also vitally connected to each other. Every believer. Ephesians 4.3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So it's, it's not just unity between ourselves that we work for, but unity amongst ourselves and, and the Spirit. So in our very individualistic society, it's so easy to be tempted just to focus on our, you know, it's me and Jesus, baby. Just, just, just that's all I need. Um, it's why you know and why I know so many people who've had it with church. And frankly, it's hard to blame them because of their experience, because of um, the reputation of the Big C Church lately. But I just can't find a biblical paradigm or a model where God blesses the Lone Ranger in Christianity. God has designed for every believer to be vitally connected to each other. And again, we go to the Lord's Prayer every week, it seems, but it's not a coincidence that all the the pronouns in the prayer are plural. Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, which is why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. 
Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. I said this in uh, our membership class last week. You know, the language of church really shouldn't be membership. It's not ideal. That's the language of LA Fitness and Costco and American Express. Membership has its privileges. The, the, the language of church life is closer to language of family, right? Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, Galatians says. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household. We need each other. And I don't believe God... I don't believe God will, will prosper the pride of those who think that they can just get along without any other family of believers. It's interesting that following the arrival of the, of the spirit of, uh, of Pentecost, you see this immediate banding together, uh, forming what Jesus had already predicted in Matthew 16, this thing called the church. And we look to Acts 2 about sort of a, inspiring picture of what that can look like. They devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The, the idea is that this big C, one universal, timeless, worldwide, macro church is actually manifested in micro places like Crosslands uh, off Young Street, like a live church, the former strip club, places like New Hope, places like New Market Alliance Church, whenever and wherever people band together in communities to be the church, to do things that churches are called to do, to be discipled in scriptures, to praise and adore, to pray, to share in communion, to practice care and accountability and encouragement of each other and so on. In fact, the writer of Hebrews directly warns believers not to neglect that part of their faith, the assembling together. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And and we're in this revolutionary, exciting, scary time of trying to figure out, does that, you know, does gathering together include live stream, Zoom? Um, and that's a conversation I, I think we'll, we need to keep having. But the principle of being together seems super important to God. Why? Well, f- first, I think, togetherness is an extension of who God is. Like, we know God is, is really three persons in one. We call it the, the Trinity, the Father, 
Son, Holy Spirit are in perfect unity, enjoying one another, mutually submitting to one another, working together for the salvation of mankind. You can understand then why the designer of everything, of the universe, might design his creation to take on his own values and and characteristics. John 17 says, and this is Jesus, I pray also for those who believe in me, that's you, through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. But here's another reason it's so important to God. Like marriage, our togetherness is actually kind of the means of our own discipleship and our own sanctification. This is where it gets kind of tricky. This is where people get offended and leave the church. This is sometimes the ugly, messy work of being in relationship. It's why we it's why we believe the most significant spiritual growth actually happens in, in communities. Not just because of the encouragement and the hugs and the serving each other and the laying on of hands and all that's great, but sometimes it's actually working with personalities who grate on you and who have different preferences than you. And check this out. God uses those annoying people to sort of sand off our rough edges. It's in community that we learn what it truly means to love one another. The second greatest commandment according to Jesus. Third reason I believe it's the, this kind of unity is one that is maybe the best witness for God in the gospel. John 13, Jesus speaking by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, forget even a Christian witness for a second. It's like, it's like every sociologist is coming to the same conclusion lately. Society, society's emphasis on individuality has, has created this hole of emptiness in people who are longing for connection and belonging. Our, our world is filled with so much loneliness and we try to medicate it with hobbies and internet fame and workaholism and buying things and it alleviates the pain for just a moment but it's nothing like the deep lasting fellowship of believers in true community who who are also connected to the triune god the world just can't fathom a community existing without division and condemnation and fighting. Um, and we can, we can offer something very different. Fourth thing is, is the church togetherness. And I talked sort of about this as the band sang. It's sort of a picture of what heaven can be like. Our unity, our togetherness is a foretaste, a glimpse of what is to come. Revelation paints this picture of ultimate togetherness around the throne, the Old Testament saints, the recently departed, all of us uh, celebrating Jesus himself. And obviously at this moment in time, in 2023, we, we are a long way from that picture in heaven. 
But when we live out this oneness, even amidst our own suffering, our own brokenness, it reveals to a broken, fragmented, divided world how different things can be in God's kingdom. And when we worship together in song and prayer, we just get a little taste of that, of that, of that final gathering. Now, I say all this to show you that the togetherness of the early church was often most evident in them coming together to pray. The church spent so much time in prayer together. You could say the church was actually birthed out of corporate prayer. Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Spirit. And as they did, they prayed. Acts 1.14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The disciples attended the temple at set hours every day. Acts 3, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to pray. You know, um, of course, the temple was the place of, of public prayer. And, and then you see the kind of community of, of prayer laying on of hands was so common in this early Acts church. Um, it's, it's the kind of prayer that, that doesn't happen alone in your car, doesn't happen alone in your, in your prayer closet. It needs others to receive and give ministry. You'll, you'll see that this was a people that whenever they faced problems, they gathered together for prayer. That They prayed together when persecution broke out, Acts 4. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. By the way, just an aside, um, did they pray that they wouldn't be persecuted? Uh, did they pray for safety? Did they pray for a hedge of protection? Uh, did they pray that the, you know, for a new government would be installed that would be sympathetic with their cause? Did they pray that Israel would, would you know, would they make Israel great again? Uh, no, they were too mission-minded for that. Acts 4.29, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Their petition was that they would be more courageous together to share the gospel. And God used their corporate prayers to continue his work of spreading the gospel through the known world like wildfire. They prayed together whenever they needed direction from the Lord. When they needed to choose leaders, they met to pray. Acts 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. In fact, um, corporate prayer was just sort of uh, life as usual in this early church. Now, if I'm being totally honest, as an introvert, Jonathan's an introvert, yes, sometimes I am tempted to think, can't my whole life just, you know, my whole prayer life be personal? You know, it's when we start adding other people and the weird way that they pray and always bringing up, you know, Aunt Betty's hip surgery and talking about, you know, knickerbockers or whatever. Um, so I'm preaching to myself today. I'm preaching to you. I want to remind you about even some of the practical value, some of the God's purposes 
in corporate prayer meetings, first and foremost, and frankly, the list could begin and end with this, but we pray corporately because God asks us to. He commands it. It's like baptism. I could go through all the theological reasons why we do it, but it's summed up with, well, Jesus did it, and he asked me to do it. And, you know, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of programming, teaching, fellowship, good works, prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer. The second thing is, I just believe Jesus loves to show up when his people pray together. Matthew 18, for where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. 1 Corinthians 5, 4, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. And it's not just some theoretical sort of knowledge of his presence. Ah, yes, the Lord is present. He's everywhere. He's got the whole world. I'm talking about a, a present, tangible, discernible presence of, of God where people would say, wow, Jesus is in the room. Uh, this happened when the church met to hear the report of Peter and John after uh, their release uh, uh, from, from prison. Um, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In other instances, it might be people empowered to speak in tongues. And, and notice this too, uh, purpose three, prayer requests are often answered right while believers gathered to pray, right in real time. It seems probable that there are prayers that are answered specifically because the church gathered to pray. As, as the church prayed together one night in Mary's home for their buddy Peter, who was, had been unfairly, unjustly thrown in jail, God responded in real time by sending an angel to set Peter free from prison. It's one of the great comedic stories of the Bible, actually, where Peter shows up at the house where they're having an all-night prayer meeting. They're praying for him to get out of prison. He's a free man, but he's locked out. And so they hear this knocking at the door, and they send the youngin Rhonda to go open the door. And they're like, help me, Rhonda. Go get this... Uh, the boomers are with me on that one. And we're busy praying. So Rhonda goes to the door and she sees Peter and she's all like, but uh, you were, I thought, humana, humana, humana. And, and uh, she's so amazed that she runs away to tell the group and leaves Peter locked out in the night. It's, it's like a, she goes up and tells the group, it's like a scene from Abbott and Costello. You like my modern references this morning? He's like, P -p -p Peter is the, 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 right? And, and they're like, shut up, Rhonda, we're busy praying for Peter. And no, he's, I, he's, have. meanwhile, Peter is like pounding on the door. Hey guys, like I'm still a wanted man kind of here. Would you, would it kill you open the door? They finally let him in. They're freaked out and they're celebrating almost as if they didn't believe their own prayers could work or something. Purpose number four, sometimes big requests require much united 
corporate prayers. We know that the Spirit resides in us individually, but He also resides in the church corporately. Ephesians 2, And in Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This was a call for corporate prayer. There have been times in Nax's history, in, in my time since I've been here, in years before, where we've asked the congregation to come together for a season, for, for a time of concerted prayer, even fasting. And uh, we've come together to intercede for healing, for direction, for hiring, for, for souls. Guess what? We're going to ask you to do that again starting today. Uh, kicking off tonight and for the next 30 days leading up to Easter, we're, we're calling the church to corporately be intentional, deliberate, come to a concerted time of, of corporate prayer. Another reason we do this thing together is because it encourages, it encourages us to start and continue praying, doesn't it? When we work, we work. But when we pray... God works. The devil knows that better than we do, I think. And so he attacks prayer more than anything else in the church. Uh, as long as a church doesn't pray, the devil isn't too concerned because that church won't change a thing. But he's very worried about a praying church. In, in my church renewal coaching done with other pastors across Canada, um, we are warned that the hardest thing we'll ever do as pastors is to get prayer going in our church and then to keep it going. And, and in fairness, sometimes getting prayer going in my life or the life of other pastors is not very easy either. Prayer can be easily extinguished in a church so, so easily, overnight it seems. But when we come together, oh, when we come together to pray, we end up encouraging others to keep on praying. Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting so that we can spur each other on. There's something about doing this together, seeing your church family praying that spurs us on. And when big church-wide prayers are answered, doesn't it encourage us to, to pray big prayers in our personal lives too? Often praying in, in twos and threes, uh, it's a little more vulnerable, a setting where you can see others and be seen by others, listen to others, be heard by others. It, this encourages us to pray as we experience a little bit of that relational intimacy through prayer. And honestly, Purpose six, uh, corporate prayer is the setting where we learn to pray. Honestly, it's, it's, it's not me up here talking for 35 minutes. I hope it, it gives you some helpful things to apply and think about. I, I do hope it's helpful. But when I look at my own discipleship, I think of how instructive it has been 
as a young boy to watch others pray, to learn from them, to have them model something that has only come through their years of, of spiritual maturing. Um, it, was, it was the disciples who asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he taught them in group, in community. Not to mention all the observations that they would have seen Jesus, the rhythms and the habits of his own personal prayer life. You know, most Gen Z or millennials won't tell you this, but the truth is on a conscious or unconscious level, they are looking for godly examples of people who pray to serve as a model for them. If you want the next generation to walk with God, you have to do it with them. And, and prayer meetings are a place we can practice together. Uh, actually act on this good prayer knowledge that we have and, and experience the actual act of praying. It's the safe laboratory or workshop where we, we experiment, where we grow in listening prayer and unison prayer and healing prayer, and confession, prophetic words, deliverance, and so on. Last thing, it, it really unifies us under the Spirit. It's, it helps unify small groups. It helps unify marriages. It helps unify elders, youth, parents, nations, folks from, from different denominations. The, the church renewal journey that I am on, and that by extension you are sort of on, the, the coaching, the abide groups, the the Hearing God seminars. Um, this was all birthed in a church in Manitoba that's really ostensibly a prayer movement. There's a lot of people there on a Sunday morning. It's a huge church, but you know where it's really packed? It's on the Sunday night prayer gatherings. They're, they're packed to the rafters there. And for those of you who've been around the Christian block long enough, you know that that's an unusual thing. Prayer meetings are not like uh, lineups at the door. But that kind of excitement and momentum about prayer, uh, it can be contagious. It's exciting. It's like a flywheel that keeps picking up momentum. And dare I say, revival is just right around the corner. There's, um, I think in every pocket of revival, and we've seen them in our lifetime. We had one a few years ago right in this Toronto area. Every one of them is going to have some grifters and some charlatans, some hangers-on. There's going to be some Christian tourism going on. It doesn't necessarily mean they were counterfeit revivals. It means that we have to be really discerning about what we receive as a legitimate outpouring of the Spirit. We need to learn how to sift out some of the human nonsense of those who might try to wrongly attach themselves to, to something legitimate. There's a small Christian university called Asbury. You heard of, you heard of this? On Wednesday, February 8th, at a, at a routine chapel service, so routine, in fact, that the guest speaker said afterwards it was he preached a stinker. He dropped a bomb. And, and at the end of the chapel, a handful of students stayed behind. And then 
And look, there's no bigger skeptic in the room than this guy. But later that day, students, independent of each other, wanted to go back to the chapel, which is unheard of if you've ever been to one of these school chapels. And they're asking professors to leave class. And as the day wore on, the chapel began to fill. And by evening, it, it was full. And it was with just students praying and worshiping into the night. And for those of you familiar with like a 24-7 prayer experience, that'll sound familiar, except this was started spontaneously. And it got to the point where there were four overflow venues, lineups out the door, people waiting in the cold for six hours. And inside, I'm told, there was just a very gentle but profound presence of God in this very lo-fi atmosphere. No bells, no whistles, no video, no lights, not even lyrics on the screen, none of that. People from all over North America were coming, but also people from Chile and Brazil and the UK. And in the first 12 days, 100,000 people at least had come through this small town. The police had to shut down the highway. They couldn't cope in this little town of Wilmore, 3,600 people. One attender whose opinion I just trust said he couldn't explain it except to say that it was like a sovereign move of the Spirit. There was a sense of desperation for God. He talked about that thin place, that old Celtic expression, that, that place between heaven and earth they experienced. Again, it was a gentle move. It was unhyped. It was a movement essentially led by Gen Z, by kids my daughter's age, kids Jose's age. And everything my generation and boomers and even millennials think is necessary to draw a crowd was not happening. Okay? It was breaking all these so-called rules. And it shows me again that there is no formula to the outpouring of the Spirit. Different moves happen in different generations. But I would say if there's one thing is that all of them are soaked in, polluted by, covered with prayer, prayer, prayer. You know, the chaplain of Asbury said, the only celebrity here is Jesus. Lots of Christian celebrities, worship leaders, authors, pastors, influencers, journalists, they tried to glom on to this movement. And they were told to wait in line like everybody else. And no, you can't have the microphone. This was a student-led movement. And, and masses of unimpressive people were getting very impressed with Jesus. It, it is significant that this is happening I think at a college campus and not at some mega church. I think, I hope that this may even multiply to college campuses across North America to a generation who are sick of narcissistic leaders and religious abuse. You know, Fox News wanted to do a story and, and they said no. And the anchor at Fox said, Good on you, actually. You don't know how refreshing that is, how, how rare it is to find anyone in the modern world that doesn't want the TV cameras there. He said, 
Uh, when people don't want TV cameras, there's only two reasons. One, mostly, because they're trying to hide something. But very occasionally, it's because they just don't need the TV cameras. And this seems to be one of those moments, he said. It's interesting that recently a billion dollars was spent on a marketing campaign for Christianity it made its way to the Super Bowl. Marketing campaign for Christianity. Does that land a little weird on your ears as well? Meanwhile, Asbury spent zero dollars, have asked people to turn off their phones, not to live stream it, no TVs, and the whole world is talking about this move of God. Look, they're like all revivals, uh, this will peter out. They've already put a stop to, to visitors so that the students can continue what they, you know, have come for to get an education. All moves of God are for a time. That's okay. Our hope isn't in the revival, but in the reviver. It is, it is, in as so far as Jesus is involved, it will last eternally. I have my radar up and I have my own baggage and church hurts and disappointments and cynicism and maybe you do too. But I just, I long for a move of God at Mac. I long for a move of God in Newmarket. It doesn't have to be at Mac. I, I might be tempted to take credit for it if it does. So, so God, come. Come to our region. Maybe it starts at Nase. Maybe it starts at Crosslands, but we just want to be part. We want to join in what God is doing. And I know this, it begins when people who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray and pray. For the next 30 days, I'm going to invite you to pray and to fast. 